Welcome, Welcome to, to the Better, Better Call Daddy Show. This is Big Daddy. Oh my God, that's hysterical. More stories you are not going to believe. And advice that you didn't know that you needed. Five stars. Five and a half stars. We're creating a legacy one call at a time. Here comes my daddy. Your problem is, is that you like me. <laughs> my dad is my hero. I'll always be there to take your call. And you'll never be in too much trouble if your dad is around. Oh, boy. I think I'm a pretty cool dude. Better call daddy. The safe space for controversy. This is your host, Rena Friedman Watts. No, this is your host, Celia Watts. More inspirational stories, more daddy drama, and more laughs. Hey, a lot of these things, I don't know where you're getting them from. It sounds like they're coming from when I look in the mirrors. Damn the public. Damn the public. Today on the Better Call Daddy Show, we're cooking up something special. We're talking about how you refine your recipes and your mannerisms as you age. Chef Katsuji, welcome. Okay, top chef in the house, Katsuji. Thank you. Wow, I just love so much about your story, especially the hashtag, I take risks. I took a risk. I took a risk. Yes. Boy, have you taken many risks. Oh, I also, I hear something in the background too. That's my wife cooking. Oh, okay. Well, that kind of goes along with your story. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, So talk to me about growing up in Mexico. That was a long time ago. Uh, I grew up in Mexico City. And uh, since I was born to when I turned 19 years old, I was raised in a very good household. I live, believe it or not, in a, a Jewish area in Mexico City. And my neighbors were very orthodox jewish so it was part of me growing up hanging out with my friends next door and everything and you know growing up in mexico you know obviously related to my career you know food was always amazing food was always part of my upbringing especially my my grandmother my every thursday we will get together and have dinner and you know it was a good experience interesting did you ever learn how to make any jewish dishes growing up dafina i don't even know what that is that's a moroccan Tunisian dish that it's like barley, meat, potatoes, eggs, and then you cook them all night. Oh, kind of like cholent. It's a it's a cholent, but from Sephardic from Morocco. Oh, that sounds amazing. It is really good. Are you Ashkenazi? Actually, my grandmother is Sephardi, and so I'm like both. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now. You know, the, the Sephardics bring all the spices, the cumin, the coriander, the cinnamon. Some of them put chilies, you know. You know, that's what I like about the Jewish culture, you know. They always they assume that it's always gefalto fish and matzo ball soup. And then they forget about all the Sephardic, you know, Argentinians, Mexicans, Tunisians, Moroccans. Have you gotten the opportunity to learn about, yeah, all of those different styles? Yeah, absolutely. I have worked with Mexican, not Jewish Mexican chefs, but I have worked with friends that are keep kosher in Mexico, you know, and, you know, exchange some recipes, some Argentinian friends as well. Oh, that's so cool. Do you have Mm -hmm. any plans to re-enter the kosher scene? I don't have any plans, but I'm not against it. You know, it's it's just, it's about finding the right partner, the right location. I did kosher for more than 10 years in LA, New York, Queens. I I love it. I I thought it was a great experience. Would I do it again? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, just finding the right partner and the right location. 
Okay. Well, hopefully someone in my audience, in my nice big Jewish audience will be the right partner because, oh my God, that would be so amazing if you could open a Mexi kosher in Chicago. Well, I have a restaurant in Chicago, not kosher, but you know, uh, Chicago is a great city. I I hear Ohio, it's blowing up. Like for the, in the Jewish community, like there's over a hundred thousand Jews and only two restaurants. Interesting. So have you been looking at that area? I've been reading about it and I've been interested in what's happening there. You know, like how all, uh, it's not all Jewish, but like a lot of the people living in California, especially in LA, we are living LA and, you know, different cities are growing. Yeah. What has the pandemic been like for you? I, I had to close a couple of restaurants. It was definitely, it was not fun. You learn and then you grow and, you know, I'm glad it's semi over and, you know, I'm getting back in business and, you know, doing what I love. So definitely very unexpected, just like everybody else. But I could say that I'm I'm glad it happened to me. That's the only thing I can say because, you know, looking back and saying, you know, I hate it. No, you know, uh, I think every single um, experience helped you grow in different levels. Yeah, how have you had to grow or pivot during the pandemic? A lot of soul searching, you know, going back to basics. The great thing, it was that I, I got to spend a lot of quality time with my family. It had any benefits. Yeah, I mean, that's very special. Mm-hmm. It seems like family is very important to you. Yep, and, and you know what? I owe that to the, you know, being so close in the Jewish community in LA. You know, it, they, you know, you know this, you know, you know, it's all about supporting everybody, you know, for us, you know, like we don't, we don't, I'm not Jewish. I don't celebrate any Jewish holidays, but for us, Friday night was very important back when I had my kosher restaurants, because that was a time of, you know, yeah, we're running a business, but it doesn't matter what's happening in the whole world. Friday sundown, we're done with the business. So it helped me a lot to like, you know, better quality time with my family because in the restaurant business, you're working pretty much 24 seven. So. Wow. That is so interesting how the Jewish mm. community had an influence on you. Oh, totally. No, 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 no. You know, before, get involved in the community I never wanted to get married never wanted to have kids and then I got involved and you know it it makes you a much better person it makes you a more spiritual and it makes you a family person as well you know I always say that I'm I'm lucky enough to say that I didn't pick kosher cooking kosher cooking picked me and I, I was really good at what I what I do with kosher. Wow, that is so interesting. Was the first restaurant that you worked for kosher? No, the first restaurant that I owned was kosher. That's right. It was the Mexi kosher, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I couldn't go on an open restaurant all about pork and shrimp and octopus, but I choose to stick with the kosher because I felt that there was a need for Mexican food. There was a need for someone to keep pushing the envelope in kosher cooking. I was very lucky that I think I helped kosher cooking to put it out there, you know, because I talk about it when I was on Chop, when I was on Top Chef, things like that. Yeah, that is so amazing. What did you learn from that experience? Be very resourceful, you know, and very, very resourceful. That's the word. Very resourceful, number one. Number two, I learned from a really good Chabad rabbi that he told me, he's like, Everything out there that it's not kosher, if you search for it, you will find it kosher. So that helped me to be more like aggressive in a way that I was like, hey, how can we find this flavor? How can we do this? So it was always a challenge. Very, very challenging. Yeah. So like if someone grew up keeping kosher and they wanted to work in the culinary industry and a lot of like the culinary schools don't have like a kosher program, Mm -hmm. what kind of advice would you give them? 
Well, when I went to culinary school, I actually went with a girl who was orthodox and she kept kosher. So she would make the food and then I would be like, all right, let me taste it. Yeah, you need more salt, you need more garlic, you need more like that. I, I, I think the culinary school it's very helpful for everybody, even if you keep kosher, because you're going to understand how the chemistry of food works, you know? Why, when you make a butter sauce, it will break? Why, if you mix this with this, it will not work? So I'm always about, like, learning and going to culinary school. For someone who keeps kosher, you have to be extremely passionate about that, because if you're going to spend the money and you're not going to be able to taste the food, you have to be in love for with what you do. You know, it was very exciting when in Brooklyn we had that, kosher culinary school so in brooklyn many years ago we had the only kosher culinary school i actually went there and i taught some classes oh amazing it doesn't mm -hmm. still exist no the, before covid they went out of business yeah and then I, I did a lot of cooking events and a lot of cooking classes i was always i i got booked for a lot of kosher events for me just to go and teach how to cook better better food and then i will compete a lot and i will judge a lot of competition i remember one of the the last ones that i judged it was a a challenge competition and then you know while the people were cooking i said you know i started giving some advice it's like hey vinegar in Cholom, it's going to help you. And they're like, what, really? You're putting vinegar in Cholom? It's like, yeah, trust me, you know? And then, you know, here things and there, like, as, I don't know, I would be like, hey, put, put a little bit of brown sugar, put a little bit of, you know, dates, you know, just to balance flavors. Oh my God, yeah, I would never think to put vinegar in Cholom. Well, you have to remember, Cholom, it's like meat, potatoes, barley, it's super heavy. But if you take some, I don't know, carrots and you pickle them in sugar with vinegar, and then you throw it on top of your cholom when you're eating it, that vinegar, it's going to make it much lighter. It's going to cut that fattiness and it's going to make it more interesting. And cholom's tend to be like one note. The moment you put the vinegar, it goes up and then you add the crunch. So you are adding crunch, adding vinegar, adding spices, you know? Okay, I think I'm going to try that. Have you ever mm -hmm. mixed some ingredients together that you thought would be a good idea and then it wasn't? Absolutely. More of techniques, you know? The, the one that I remember, uh, it's like I tried to bake some fish in avocado sauce. You can't bake fish in avocado. <laughs> have you ever like substituted ingredients that didn't work out well? Yes, I, I have done that. I was making mac and cheese one time. And I didn't have flour to make my root, make my cream sauce thick, but I have some santam gum. I don't know if you know what's that. It's, it's, a, it's a very strong thickener. And then I added it and it came out much better. You know, I can make a cheese sauce without any gluten now. Oh, that's really cool. Mm -hmm. Okay. I want to take a couple questions from the audience that people ask me too. Also, I know a lot of people always ask you like, who's your inspiration? You know, I, I, I get asked that question a lot and I don't think I get inspired by anyone. I, I think it's more about like, how can I make you experience something that you haven't tasted? How can I, you know, I, I can give you an example. I remember the first time I saw this rabbi at Mexicosia who's like, I have never ate a taco in my life. And I was like, wow. I said, well, Rabbi, let me show you how to grab the taco, number one. Number two, let me show you that the line, the salsa, it makes a huge difference. So for me, that's a, it was more of, that was more of an inspiration. That was more of a, like, how can I make someone try something for the first time, you know? Expose them to, like, new flavors. Oh, my God. That is so cool. Have you experienced that a lot? In the kosher cooking? Absolutely. Quite often. 
Yeah. That, that must be really exciting for you, for people to be like, this is the first taco I've ever had, or this is the first, yeah. you know, any type of dish that you serve. And then I will bring a lot of like Mexican ingredients, a lot of, lots of vegetables and people will be like, oh my God, what is this? What is that? You know? So it, it was always very interesting. Yeah. What are some unique ingredients that you've incorporated? In the kosher cooking, probably I was the first one bringing cactus, you know, like they're called nopales. So we will do cactus on the... Mexican food, zucchini blossoms, uh, this type of Mexican corn mushroom that it's very black. So I will do a lot of, I will push the envelope as much as I could on kosher food. Oh my God, that's so cool. I really want you to open a kosher restaurant now in Chicago. Yeah, what is on the forefront for you? I'm opening a new Mexican restaurant in a couple of weeks in Raleigh, North Carolina. What is the process of opening a restaurant like? It's literally the most difficult thing that you could ever do because there's so many, so many things from the food. It's only like 40% permits, fire department, alcohol, drinks, service, boss boys, servers, bartenders, you know. There's so many things that could go wrong and there's so many things that people just don't realize it happens behind scenes, you know? Most of the guests will think, oh, it's just food and a server. No, there's a lot of things, you know? You know, your product can go bad. You might not get your delivery. It's literally one of the most difficult business. Oh my God. And you love it? Yep. <laughs> yeah, like what gets you excited about opening another restaurant? You know, there's always that opportunity to, the best, to be the best, you know, like I want to be the best on, you know, when I had Mexico, I wanted to be the best Mexican kosher food in the whole world. I wanted to be the best Mexican chef, you know, so it, 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 it's an opportunity to showcase your flavors, showcase what I like. And, you know, I always try to like push the envelope on flavor. So like, you know, how can I make people try new things? Oh my God, that's so cool. And, and your love of food started at a very young age, right? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. But I think that's every 90% of chefs will start very young. Interesting. Yeah. So when you first started, like around age seven, what did you start experimenting with? I was experimenting with, you know, instant mashed potatoes or cakes in a box. I was only allowed to use the microwave, you know, I was not allowed to use the stove. So, you know, my grandma would let me play. And then while I was with her, she would allow me to boil and saute. But I, I, I always like to experiment on my own. So I will always experiment in the, in, the, in, the, in the microwave. I will make quesadillas in the microwave or small little pizzas, things like that. Did you enjoy cutting things up and making like a nice presentation? Absolutely. I, I remember that was one of the first things that I learned as a kid. My food wasn't perfect, but I always find a way to make it look very nice. And then that will entice people to eat it. Oh, yeah. Isn't that funny? Like, even if it looks good and it might not necessarily yeah. taste good, that people will check it out? Yep, exactly. Oh, my God. That's so funny. So are you very into presentation now? Like, No, no. presentation is extremely important. Extremely important on everything, you know, from simple chopped parsley to, you know, dry ice and fire and all those things. Wow. Are you teaching your own children how to cook? We teach them, we experiment, we try recipes, we tweak them, we make them better. Are there favorite things that you make for your kids that they love other than probably pancakes? Ooh, well, right now, one of my daughters and I are working on the perfect chocolate chip cookie. So we're working with different flowers, different chocolate, you know, different cooking times. So we're trying to find the best chocolate cookie right now. That's our next, this is our next goal. That's so cute. Do you mm -hmm. recognize talent in others? Yes, especially working in the kitchen, you realize who has that talent, that that gift that could be a chef one time. You know, sometimes it's heartbreaking because you want to support them and push them, but they're not ready and then they fail. Oh no, so you've tried that. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like anyone tried to mentor you? 
not really, especially when coach, when, when I became really good at kosher, there was no one that I could just go and ask like, Hey, how do you make this? How do you do that? Can you, can, you know, there was no one. So I, I started like experimenting and pretty much writing the cookbook on, on, you know, how to push the envelope on kosher cooking. Wow. That is so unique. Have you like gone to other kosher restaurants and, and, and thought to yourself like, whoa, I could improve this or, you know, maybe I should make suggestions or. Yes, but I will never open my mouth. No, no, I will, I will always be like, I'm very respectful, you know, like different talent, different things. You know, when something's bad, you know, you just, you just don't go back, but I will never dare to be like, oh, that was bad. That was really disgusting. No, 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 no. But, you know, just, you just don't go back. But, you know, in LA, there's amazing restaurants, especially kosher, that are doing great things. I haven't been there in three years, so I don't know what's happening. But, you know, New York as well, you know, there's great LA guys, upscale shawarma. If you talk to me about shawarma, I will only eat kosher shawarma because I think it's the best shawarma. Regular shawarma, eh, not as good. Interesting. Did people ever give you feedback? I consider myself a very selfish chef. So if I don't like it, I will never put it on the menu. So I will have to like it first and then I will put it on the menu. Yeah. Interesting. So strangest thing that you've ever had to make? I have cooked really weird stuff. From kangaroo, I try a rat a couple of times, not once, no. couple of times. Yeah, I have pretty much cooked with every single insect that you could imagine. And I have to test them, all of them. Okay, please describe some of that. One of the Mexican insects, it actually tastes like smoked pastrami. Yeah, like somebody smoked pastrami. It's scorpions. They taste like walnuts. Like really scorpions like... Scorpions taste like walnuts? Yeah, like toasted walnuts. There's this one called, it makes, you know, like a maguey, which is a cactus. There's a, there's a worm inside. And then you saute them in butter. And again, it tastes like roasted pistachios with nuts, you know, very nutty. Oh my God, you've eaten that? Yeah. yeah. What, what about like shark or alligator or like? I have ate shark, I have ate alligator. I have ate a lot of like, if it's edible, I, I have pretty much eaten. I have ate, uh, you know, from scorpions to snake, kangaroo, rats, uh, brains, every single part of the, the animal you could imagine. What? made you want to do that well that's what i do and if, if i cannot expose myself to flavors somebody's going to be more knowledgeable of some ingredients and i in order for you to be the best you have to learn about every single cooking style flavors things like that so you know it, it's a it's a very interesting career because you never stop learning you know because every time you know there's something new different cultures different flavors different spices so when you take on one of those weird ingredients like shark or kangaroo or something, mm -hmm. do you like cook it plain first to then see like what it needs? Yes. And by the way, even the weirdest thing, it tastes like something that you have tasted. Kosher or not kosher, you know? So it, it doesn't matter, you know? Have so, you taken any of those and tried to like surprise others? I'm not that type of chef who will be like, oh, by the way, you just ate rattlesnake no i like letting know people what they're having you know because the last thing you want to be surprised or be you know because every time you want to surprise someone maybe i'm going to be the most surprised because they're going to be like absolutely no or like what are you doing no no i, I always try to tell people what they're having okay okay that's funny i have seen you interviewed before and you really talked about like the rags to riches story of like, mm -hmm. like coming from you know a privileged Mexican home and then moving to the States and having nothing and sleeping on a workbench and taking mm -hmm. a ride three hours on a bus to work. 
Can yep. you talk just a little bit about that? Like, how did you go from being privileged to having nothing? Like, were you totally cut off? Yeah, totally, totally cut off. Like, I was going into college. I had to stop college. Uh, you know, my parents separated. We have to leave the country completely. You know, and I was really young. I was like 18, 19. You know, I see it nowadays and I say, you know what? It helped me to grow. It helped me to be a better person, to appreciate things much more. more. But at that time, I didn't, I didn't get it. And I was always very upset and, you know, not very happy at the beginning. But you find, you know, you always find a way. The only good thing is like, I knew the good things in life. And I knew if I work hard enough, I will get them back. But when you're born poor and you have no access to anything, you know, sometimes ignorance, it's a, you know, maybe not a blessing, but sometimes it just makes you, you, you live a happier life because you don't know what's out there. But I knew what the good life wanted and I wanted back. Wow. Did you ever feel like quitting when you got to LA? Like, did you feel like going back to Mexico or you're like, I'm going to make this work? No, there was no going back. There was nowhere for me to go back. How did that affect you? I will lie to myself and I will be like, I'm, on, I'm only on vacation. I'm living in the late. So it's only for a little bit. And, uh, you know, you, it's, you take it one day at a time. Wow. Yeah. I would love to know, like, when did you feel like you were okay? I don't know. I think I'm still chasing that. You know, I'm, I'm very happy where, where I am. I'm, I'm very blessed and I'm very lucky, but I still want more. I don't think I will ever be happy at 100%. That is really interesting because like you've been on multiple television shows now and mm -hmm. you've had multiple restaurants and you have reached a lot of success. Like, is, is it ever enough? Yeah. When will you feel like you've made it? I don't know if I will ever be a hundred percent, you know, but I, I, I keep trying and I, you know, like now I base my happiness in different things, not so much career oriented, but more family, more like how can they have better trips, better fun, you know? How can I provide a better quality of life? That's really awesome. Tell me about some of what you've been able to afford them or some of the, the upgrades that you've had for your family, like some of the greatness. From living in, you know, by myself in a really bad area in LA, you know, we, we end up moving to like, you know, Beverly Hills. And then now we live in North Carolina and, you know, we have a really nice house, you know, we have a huge yard in the front and, and on, the, on the back. So, no, no, we, we, we have grown slowly, but, you know, we are very happy. What was the, like your first experience like of being on television? First time on TV, it was in 2002 on a cooking show on PBS. This is before every single cooking show. I didn't know what to expect. I was just, I wanted to get all the attention on me. So I was a little obnoxious and annoying, but it killed me. It, 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 it put me on the map and then I started getting more calls for different TV shows and more, more fun things to do. Okay. That was, the that was the first time, 2002, 2003. Do you feel like you got better at being on TV? Absolutely. Yes. You know how to behave better, talk a little better, look at the camera, don't start like, you know, getting distracted. And then the, more, the most important thing is like, you need to forget that there's a camera and there's millions of people behind that camera looking at you. You know, maybe I didn't know 100% what I was going to do, but I didn't mind that the camera was there. Oh, that's cool. Mm -hmm. What do your kids think about it? They don't watch my shows. They, they have never really watched me. I, and, but they're not very kid-friendly too, by the way. It's a lot of cursing and a lot of bad things. So I, you know, uh, whenever they, they get a little older, I'll, they, they might watch the shows. Oh my gosh. So you, they haven't yeah. even seen it. That's so crazy. <laughs> yeah. Do people come up to you in public now? All the time. All the time. They're like, oh my God, you're the guy. Oh my God, you're the... Yes, yes, yes. All, all the time. Oh my gosh. And what did, mm -hmm. what did your kids think about that? 
they get a little excited and then they, they smile and they're like, why, 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 why they're looking at you? Why they, you know? Aw, that's sweet. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like you have daddy's girls too? And like, absolutely. Yes, 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 yes. Totally. A hundred percent. What was it like becoming a father? It was like a wake up call. Like, ooh, life just got real. I, I, I think you become more, more driven. You become a better person. You stop making stupid well maybe not 100 percent, but you start you stop making stupid decisions and you focus more on you know it's not more it's not longer about you it's about your legacy Ooh, and what does legacy mean to you because that's what this whole show is about when i'm no longer here what am i going to be remember what how did i touch certain people certain lives and i make them better you know it, it's about like you know creating better quality of life better experience and People go see back and be like, oh my God, yes, I remember that. I tasted that. I was, you know. Yeah. Do you feel like you've gotten to do that for the people that you've worked alongside? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I still want to do it more and I want to be more involved and change more lives, but I'm working on it. So yeah. What are some of your most proudest moments? You know, I, I have made a lot of shifts. I have made, I have taken kids with no English, no knowledge, you know, dishwashers and they have become executive chefs and they're running restaurants and they're, you know, that's probably one of my proudest moments when I have taken kids that are dishwashers and now they're like professional chefs. How did you do that? Well, I consider myself a good teacher. I, I, I want to pass along my knowledge. I don't have any problem sharing recipes or sharing techniques. I, I'm a selfish chef, but I'm not a selfish person. You know, I want people to learn. I want people to have a better opportunity, you know. That's really cool. Okay. What's your favorite thing to make? I like rice dishes everything with rice yeah Mm. anything with rice anything that would be easy that we could give a little tip on the show the easiest one would be how to make a a real mexican rice you know the red rice one of the easiest things yet very complicated i I think the secret of making really good rice it's you have to toast your your rice in either olive oil or butter but you have to toast rice in order to change the cooking process of the rice so then you get a much fluffier they don't stick together. Yeah, I totally don't know how to do that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm going to have to Google that. <laughs> Is there anything that you would like to ask my dad? I did actually an event for the Chabad at Kentucky, at Louisville. In oh Louisville. God, that's where I'm yeah. from. What was it uh-huh. like? What was your experience in Louisville? It was great. We, we, we cook all kosher. Most of the people were not kosher. Uh, they were Jewish, but not kosher. But it was a great experience that they were part of like, you know, kosher food could be just as tasty as non-kosher. And I, I, I love Louisville. I thought it was a great city. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I also heard you say that you love Chicago. Like One of the best cities in America, especially in summer. Not so much in winter, but in summer. Yeah. The food's amazing. The people are super nice. It's like a really big city with a small town feeling. People are very very polite. Not all of them, but overall, like if you compare it to LA or New York, it's a different lifestyle. Uh, food's amazing. It was very clean a couple of years ago. I, I always liked that city, you know, because you have, you know, you have the big city and then you have the, you know, the suburbs and it, it feels like you're in a different country. Yeah. It is really interesting how many cities you've gotten to check out. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I lived in LA for three years and now I've lived in Chicago for a decade. Also, like when you lived in LA, what were the differences between LA and Chicago for you? Number one, I would say traffic. Number oh, two, oh God, I hate the traffic. No. Number two, I will be how nice people are in Chicago compared to LA. People are much nicer in Chicago. Or maybe more uh, real. Yeah, but they're more polite. You know, the people say hi, how are you? They'll talk. You know, they smile. In LA, no one smiles. No one says hello. You know, it's it's a it's a very cold city. 
I think that will be the biggest difference. And then the food, there's amazing restaurants in Chicago, you know, like they push the envelope on uh, entertainment, quality of food, decoration, things like that. Also, what about your experience in New York? Oh, I love New York, but I will never live there full time, especially with kids and family. It's a very hardcore city. You know, if you don't have a car and then you have two kids and you have to go shopping and, you know, go to the store, go to here, go to there, you know, like it, it, it's a hardcore city. As far as ingredients too, like, would you say one place is easier versus another or different? Or? No, no. Uh, Chicago, LA, New York, you have access to everything, 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 everything. Other places, not so much, but like those two cities, yes. There's not that much difference. If you couldn't find an ingredient kosher, would you like be willing to work with rabbis to make something kosher as long as like it was a kosher animal or whatever? But like spices. I will find spices that I will send to rabbis and be like, hey guys, can I use this? Well, you know, they will go back and forward and, you know, it will take a couple of months, but then they were like, yeah, you can do it. I was the first chef to serve filet as a kosher meat, you know? Wow, that's so cool. Mm-hmm. We did uh, all the non-kosher meat that could be kosher. We did it like six or seven years ago in LA. It was a big deal. The LA Times went and because it was the first time that we served filet in America. Oh, wow. How did that happen? We brought this rabbi from Israel that we brought this rabbi, we brought this mashgiach, we brought this all these people from Israel that knew how to do, remove the vein and remove this part of the cow. I can't remember exactly what's, what's the name, but we did it. And then we did it with a supervision and we, it was the highest level of kosher. It wasn't cheap. I can tell you that, but you know, it was the first time people eating all of these cuts of meat. Oh my God. And what was the response? Oh, it, it was sold out. We couldn't fit any more, anybody else in this event. Wow. Yeah. So that must make you realize like there definitely is a demand for it. Absolutely. Yeah. But the problem is it's just way too expensive. You know, it's, it's not, it's not doable at a, at a huge scale. Right. And I feel like even, you know, there's an Argentinian steakhouse here. He's actually a fan of yours. Have you heard of Evita Steakhouse? Yeah, I know him. Very nice guys. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, he does a real upscale job of, of curating different meats and things. Yeah. But he only, he, he only uses the kosher, the kosher cuts. Once you go into the non-kosher that you can make them kosher, you know, the quality is like much better, the, the, the flavor, very different. My son, actually, my oldest, like, he's like, when I'm older, I'm not keeping kosher because he feels like he wants to try all of these other things. But mm-hmm. I feel like what you said earlier is if you want it kosher, you really can make anything kosher. Do you really believe exactly. that? Yeah. Like there's fishes in the sea that they taste and feel like shrimp or scallops or lobster. There's everything available. You just have to look. And then you have to be someone who's, who knows someone like me who has the knowledge of cooking and these ingredients and can push the envelope in kosher cooking. Where have you gotten all this secret best knowledge? I came out with those. I, um, I'm, I'm the one that I was experimenting with all these flavors, all these things. I was famous in many, many years ago for I was the first one to put a bacon cheeseburger on a menu, kosher. I was the first one to do like bacon wrapped scallops you know but i always have this rule if it doesn't taste like the real thing i'm not gonna lie to you and be like oh yeah these are bacon wrapped scallops i will always make sure that it will taste as close as the real thing oh my god i totally want that now Mm -hmm. what is your thoughts on diet culture i'm on a diet right now i'm not eating carbs have you modified some of your things that you prepare to make them healthier Yeah, you know, a lot of my, my new restaurant, it's 90% gluten-free. 
you know, I try not to rely on uh, a lot of flowers, a lot of heavy ingredients. Not a huge fan of like heavy creams of like or butter sauces. I tend to use more olive oils, more vinegars, more spices. Because a lot of Jewish food isn't necessarily healthy. Absolutely no. <laughs> Kugel probably one of the worst things you could eat. Have you yeah. gone to like Shabbos meals and like different holiday Lente. meals and things? Mm-hmm. I will always end up cooking or showing them how to make it better. You know, I will go on a Friday, you know, 3 p.m. And I'm like, yeah, let's, let's, let's add more of more of that, you know? But yeah. Have you like gone to Passover or like some of these other like festive meals? Uh, and... I've, been at, I, I've been on the table during Passover. I have cooked for Passover. Huh. I have opened restaurants during Passover. You know? You're like practically Jewish. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. I remember having mashgias that they were more surprised that I knew more about kosher rules than some of the rabbis, you know? Like, I didn't want to make any single mistake, and I knew I would be on their... They would always keep an eye on me because I was already on TV and famous, and, you know, I, I always wanted to have the highest certification, the highest level of kosher cooking. I respect that. That's really cool. Are there any mm-hmm. other, like, cultures that you want to learn more? I'm always happy to learn more about other cultures, but lately I've been sticking to Mexican and Japanese. That's where I want to, that's my forte. That's where I am one of the best chefs. Yeah. What was it like coming from a Mexican and Japanese background? Well, I I thought soy sauce was an ingredient commonly used in Mexican cooking, but I realized it wasn't, you know, uh, miso. That wasn't a a thing. So, you know, my dad will make tempura tacos. And I was was like, oh, that's that's a shrimp taco. And they're like, no, that's a, you know, I didn't realize until I was a little older that I came from a mixed family, but my palate became much better because of that. Wow, that's so interesting. And it obviously influenced, you know, your style. Mm-hmm. I love till today. What, like, were you eating sushi and diapers? Not so much sushi, but sashimi, yes. And I remember if I would get good grades, my parents would take me to eat sashimi at six, seven years old. Kids don't eat raw fish at that age. Is there any like wisdom that you have gained from your parents that you want to pass on to your kids or any wisdom that you don't want to pass on? Work, you know, always work your problems. Try not to go to sleep upset, you know, don't get in arguments in front of your kids. It's more about like creating a, a good environment for your family. All right. Well, this has been absolutely a total honor. And thank, thank you. you so much for coming on the Better Call Daddy show. I can't wait to hear what my dad like thinks of this. <laughs> he is going to love this. Thank you so much. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Now, let's switch it over to Grandpa. The episode is Staying Hungry with Jeff Katsuji. And what does it mean to be staying hungry? is that he has a hunger or a thirst to trying everything, doing better. And but not only does he want to be the best, but he wants to stay on top of his game and learn new things. But what I like the most is that after coming from a well-to-do family, going through a split up, almost like living in the street, when you get a taste of success, when you get a taste of a better life for your family, it motivated him to recapture what was lost. That's also a sign of never giving up. That's a sign of wanting to achieve and overachieve. It's like correcting a wrong and going forward with your life. And he's willing to share that with his family, with people that he's worked with to not only make himself better and ascertain the highest of goals, 
but to give everyone that he's surrounded with that same opportunity. And I found that to be, as you probably can imagine, to be, again, one of the focal points of this show is that you want to create not only a legacy for yourself, that's only step one. But the bigger step is to be able to create a legacy for everyone around you and for an example of improving humanity for further generations and to build a future that we can choose our destiny, improve our destiny, and be able to say, hey, I was here, I touched a lot of people's lives, did it in a way to make them better. That's what it's all about. What did you think about his involvement with the Jewish community? I think that's fascinating, but he's willing to test all different cultures, all different experiments with food. I also liked how he said that if you're going to be kosher and you want a taste of even food that's not kosher, that he can find a way of making it just like the real thing, that he is able to experiment and it's not a phony baloney where he's going to give you an imitation that maybe is close to the real thing. Otherwise, he won't do it. He wants to make sure that whatever he's giving you is as close to the real thing and make it kosher. And I like what he said also, is that with all of the experimenting, that with all of the experience that he has with different foods and dishes, that still making a kosher meal still tastes the best. And I believe that. What did you think about putting some vinegar in in cholent? Well, like I said, I never would have thought of that, but he was trying to take some of the fat and lighten things up a little bit and make it make some of the food, I guess, what did he say? Like a little more crunchy by being able to add some other ingredients to it. He's willing to not only experiment, but he thinks outside the box where he is willing to be very creative at his craft. And isn't that also something that is wonderful about being a human being is that we get a chance to be creative and think outside the box and experience all new things as long as we keep an open mind and are willing to try and really face the challenges, make us a better person and a better people that we can overcome adversity. And that's part of the test that God gives us is that we show that we have an appreciation for what we're achieving and what we're doing. And if it comes too easy and we don't appreciate what we're doing, it can be a hard fall that adversities occur or obstacles. And a lot of times people run into obstacles with their lives and they're just lost and they're not able to, to even function. I think part of life is showing that we can overcome just about anything. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Better Call Daddy Show, please feel free to review it at ratethispodcast.com slash bettercalldaddy. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. Hold up. 